Welcome to the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. Hey folks, Brennan here. Thanks for tuning in to our 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you want to reach out or follow us, we're on Facebook and YouTube as 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch as 25 Years of VTM, and on our website at 25yearsofvtm.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome, folks, to 25 Years Presents the Book of the Weaver. Um, to catch folks up, we got some announcements. Before we do that, uh, I want to give a shout out to Brennan. Oh, hey. Nice and Mike. And Mike. Hello there, with him. Like typically it's an introduction, but I said shout out because I lost vocabulary usage suddenly. You're welcome. Uh, but what I wanted to dig into is that off the bat, there's there's a lot of uh, like outcry we've received, sort of like freedom of expression to go to a distinct uh, like five percent of you uh, really don't care for Werewolf Fifth Edition, folks. We want to make an official announcement: we did not write Werewolf Fifth Edition, nor are we against Werewolf Fifth Edition. Um, we want you to know this in the spirit of what they said, as I know I'm repeating this, we're along for the ride, just like you. And we hope to see a lot of good stuff. And we hope there, the differences they talk will be of an entertaining value that we all get to share and enjoy. However, I am against the harassment of anybody over what they like and don't like. I would like mm-hmm. to ask you to cease and desist that type of approach. It's only going to poison further and get you more distance from them as it is. And from them, I mean anybody who wants to write creative material for you to enjoy. That's what you do. I invite you to give constructive feed forward about it. I won't say it again. You guys have heard me say it about at least 11 times on this on potting and period. I want to push that because I want you to get in the habit of being heard and feeling like you finally have been being heard. But I want to reiterate in case you didn't know. There is no company out there writing the fictional books that we know and love, in particular for Werewolf 5th Edition, um, that doesn't like their audience. That's that's not what they're there for. Of course they do. But they're not. They're trying to make a fun experience while making sure they don't offend anyone. That's a very hard trick. You're going to have to suspend a lot of uh, your, your feelings about the old world of darkness, Werewolf the Apocalypse, which we're about to review more of today, because they are in a different vein. That is from that area. So to help you make a distinction, you can have a different edition of something because they call it a different edition. And the very spirit of it, a lot's changed. Mm-hmm. You'll hear me say this probably repeatedly. But if that says to you, I won't spend my hard-earned money, I respect that decision. Don't spend your hard-earned money, but stop harassing people about it. By you not buying, you voted. And it's counted. Please stop trying to dissuade people from doing the same thing because because honestly, it doesn't embarrass the company. And I I fear that it might embarrass you in the long run. Be an adult, mature a bit and understand that and see that point, please. I ask that. Um, With that being said, uh, we're going to get into the uh, Book of the Weaver, which does come with its own warning. I want to point this out. Why I rolled smoothly into that, I call it smooth, is because, Mike, if you could, um, if you go to page 12 here, if you could read the title, A Word of Explanation. As Mike flips to that real quick, I'm going to just explain this a little bit. In our times, we would like to think that the woke culture brought to us all the issues that people have with books. I want to tell all you youngins out there who weren't from the jump Every time White Wolf or Paradox or Onyx Path produce a book, there is like a like a weird percentage of people because you can't please everybody that reserves the right to try to piss in the soup for everybody. Hmm. They they always try to say because they don't like it, then nobody should like it. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's ridiculous. We all know it's ridiculous. You were triggered. You don't particularly care for it. You just kind of got to look past it. There will be other books and some stuff you like, some stuff you don't. And you got to keep it there. And why I say that, because you don't want to ruin the potential good book that will come out later on. But I've heard some folks say flat out, they've lost me for good. If that's the case, go to the emails, direct it to the contact us portion on the website that they have. I assure you they have people hired to look at that stuff. But the only way they act on it or even hear about it or even respond to you is if it's written constructively. That means you give hardcore points that are written without offense that could be backed up with another point more or less to what you're trying to say or what you're trying to word me. I'm too lazy for all that. <laughs> if I don't like something, I don't buy it. 
and I'll wait to the next one or get a podcast of which I don't feel it's fair to ridicule anybody like that. And if you feel I'm ridiculing with this, I'm not. I have personal friends who get out their soapbox, stand up there and sound like the old man raging against the storm. It's the same effect. What is this doing, bro? What's it doing? Just don't buy it. Fuck that. You know what they did to the Gaffin's? You know what they did? Yeah, I'm certain Odin's weeping right now, just in tears. Out his right? one good eye. Get out of here. Like, just, just, just calm it down a tad. I'm Swedish. I'm up there, right? Calm it down a tad. I can't get people to look at you. You play at what game now? We're off the apocalypse. They got Gaffin's. Isn't that cool? A what? Mm-hmm. Have you heard of Fenris? Not really. Is that the old Norse stuff? It's like, yeah, they're they're cool stories and sagas. I remember reading them in school a little bit, but like, you don't care? No. And I still I still got to pay my tab and get my coffee. Leave me alone, American. Right. <laughs> that's that's basically what I feel that that's like. And that's the approach of generally everybody. Uh, but to other than my horrible analogy, back to the point, be cool. Say your point. Rub elbows with your friend. Make a choice. But. There's the thin line between raving lunatic and uh, somebody who's just not happy. With that, though, here's a snippet from the Wayback Machine, where when they made this book, the Book of the Weaver, what did they have to put in a book here, Mike? Take it away. Some of the scientifically minded or technophiles among you might be irked a bit by the tone of this book. Specifically, you might get the impression that we white wolf folks are a bunch of hypocritical Luddites frothing at the mouth about how we'd all be better off in lightless caves and then typing it into our Macintoshes so that we can collect our paychecks on time and drive home to our CD players and video game platforms. In a word, relax. <laughs> yes, technology and science have done wonders for the whole world, not just humanity. Nobody really misses smallpox, and it's science that helps us realize exactly why this ecosystem of ours is worth preserving. But remember, this is the world of darkness we're talking about. Of course, we're going to focus on techno shock and vivisection, on pollution and blind progress. We're going to tell a story about a society that's receiving social and technological advances faster than the general populace can learn to responsibly use them. Because this stuff is real, and it's even more of a problem in the world of darkness, where there's a potent spiritual entity who's contributing to the insanity. We'll leave all that fantasizing about science only ever being used responsibly to Star Trek. In Werewolf, (laughs) the world is a mess, and it isn't looking any better. But hey, you knew that already. (laughs) This message brought to you from White Wolf in 1998. (laughs) Way back machine. Way back machine, right? By standards. This is 2022, in case some of you didn't know that. I understand some people are against the chrono time uh, that we ascribe to. That's part of it. Um, Time's not real. Yeah, for some for some people, it's not. Um, and for some others, it's time is just a piece of wax falling on a termite that's choking on the splinters. Mm. And that's... That's just how that goes. It just depends on how you want to see it. But, put. <laughs> but, but to this material, in other words, chill out, grain of salt, as it was in 98, as it ever was, as it is now, relax and enjoy the show and the book reading. Um, so um, I should paraphrase that. We're a review. We know that. Okay. Brain in check. Okay. So we start off, sorry, Book of the Weaver. Um, where they do a general intro story. This one I feel is worth noting. I know a couple times when we get to books like this that aren't tribe books, I'm like, you know what? Good story. Catch up with it in your own time. It wasn't bad, but the relevance of driving forward really wasn't there. This is one that is. And in this story, um, it's titled, let's see, The Strand Writer's Tale. Um, Brennan, what'd you think of The Strand Writer's Tale? How did it hit you? Uh, it was it was really weird at first, like the, the beginning of it was just like a bunch of uh, jumble and I had to reread that paragraph a couple of times to get what they were saying. Right. It's uh, it's the format of it is basically someone is writing on a word doc and this thing is taking over your uh, well, their uh, their program, their word doc to spin you a tale. See what I did there. Um, <laughs> anyway, the the strand writer's tale. It's told from the perspective of, well, he calls himself the Strand Rider now. He calls himself that because he used to be an Iron Rider. Iron Rider? 
right? Yeah, you got it. That is the one. Yeah, okay. I knew my memory wasn't failing. This is back in the days before we had our glass walkers, before like the cities were just monoliths of, of pure glass. And it tells a tale of how he lived in the city. And he was one that is, uh, his tale's not like we would have come to expect of most Guru in that I don't think he ever set foot outside of a city. He He had an urban life almost all of his all of his existence that is everything his life uh, entailed and going through this he talked about um well he talked about his experiences he also never talked about a pack right and i like that first tone about it right because it's the time frame is not now we said iron riders in the beginning it's like 1920s right when the cities first started to become like big cities but it still hit with this uh, almost taxi driver like like mood to it where he was very uh, affluent. He was well connected, but he was also very lonely despite being surrounded by literally over a million people. And he talks about this woman that he came to, to meet that through mutual connections. And he at first thought was kinfolk and then later thought maybe guru, but we never talked about it uh, because, you know, there's that whole litany thing. Thou shalt not uh, mate with other guru. Until he came to a point where he was hunting something, some warlock that almost killed him, but got away. Only he came home the next night and the desiccated corpse of the warlock was waiting in front of the fireplace downstairs. And he walked up and his lady friend was up there like, did you like the gift I left you? And he was apparently fully in love. Yes, Bob. I'm just saying the detail there was that it was desiccated and webbed. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> Encased in webbing. Um, that is where the subtlety of the story ended. Um, <laughs> as he went up there to join his um, Anansi lover. Uh, from there, it, it quickly spirals down. It's through this this uh, co-mingling uh, and this real, um, what's the word? Subversion, maybe corruption from Gaia to the Weaver that it really get settled in because when he comes up to see his, his girlfriend up there after finding this present, he's like, why didn't you ever speak to me of Gaia? And she's like, well, why didn't you? And that was like the, the click he had, like, holy crap. I've never even thought about Gaia unless I purposefully did it. That's when he realizes his attention has gone away from that completely. And he is now in the snare of the weaver. And from that he starts, well, he's brought into the pattern web. I think uh, we start seeing, like, before we even hear the term, we start seeing firsthand what calcification actually looks like, and I'm sure we'll get into that later. Uh, But he becomes a part of the web, and now here it is, nearly 70 years later, he has moments of lucidity in this purely spiritual, and in this case, data state that he's continuing his tale, because that's the only thing he can really do right now. It's a... That that story is, is a lot as well said. Um, typically, I break down specifics, but folks, you can read to get that. There's nuances that Brennan alluded to uh, that open up a lot, but it tells you a different story of the Weaver. Point being, the Anansi, the, or Ananasi, however you want to pronounce that there, because um, you got me on Anansi, and I'm like, well, that's a god, but Ananasi am, is a breed. I, I think Whatever. it is Ananasi. The yeah. spider people. <laughs> Those spider shifters is who we're referring spider to. Folk. Okay, we'll Ananasi, Anansi, however you want to do it. There they are. Um, Children of the Weaver is how that story outlines them, that they directly relate. However, we'll get to that book later on for a different opinion as they see it. This book, Book of the Weaver, is written by what appears to be Glasswalkers. That's what it is. A collected this dossier together of information and they've dropped it in the hands of, well, you, everybody who reads the book is kind of how this goes. The interesting part about this is, well, the strand writer. All right. What was the importance of the tale? It's a warning. At the end of it, he's literally screaming here to don't forget what this is because I now belong to the weaver and it is vastly more powerful than we thought. The weaver doesn't need our help. Mm-hmm. Never did. And that's the point. They didn't know. But that does something very important, everybody. It makes Bob right. I was correct. All the books point to the signs. I was correct. The weaver's the problem. It makes me correct. Uh, See how it yeah. does it? 
Look, so, I won't. I'll, I'll be up front. I've been hearing all this, all this yay about like you know the Weaver's really the bad guy the whole time. It's the overarching antagonist of everything. And I'm like, yeah, all right. Put your cork board down. Take off your tinfoil hat. Like, well, let's just play the game. <laughs> then I started reading this. I was like, oh, it really is worse than the Weaver. Oh yeah, I remember the Coyote book. It really. Oh yeah, it was like that difference between like knowing something and understanding something. <laughs> it's a. It's an underlying tone that they deliver well. I think they do it by tribe very well. And I think they, well, see, I think the werewolves are treated like mushrooms. They're kept in a dark and fed shit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the way the Celestines kind of built it. You <laughs> have these unthinking servants of Gaia that are really embodiments of all three aspects of the Celestines. Mm-hmm. And, and they can't think of why the Celestines do what they do. They have no idea. But that's maddening to think of. If you're spiritually connected to all that is, you need to understand it. And you seek to understand it. Yet, how can you? So every tribe has their way of coming up with their understanding of it. This Book of the Weaver are those who come to the side and are going to doing one thing. Shit. Um, we're the Glasswalkers, and there's some other beings who... Yeah, uh, we, we're supposed to be the people who handle the Weaver. Like, we're, like, representing the Weaver. There's a huge problem. Like, what do you mean? Uh, the Weaver never needed help. Like, we've been serving the Weaver the whole time. The Weaver's been jacking everything up. And it's like, well, how do you tell anybody that? Right? I think much like the Strand Rider's Tale. Wait a minute. You're in bed with this spider lady, but she wasn't a spider lady. You had some nightmares about some bulbous webby things in the background but man wasn't it good she went out said the right thing smiled did the right dance held you feels good feels great but her rage smelled off it was always like a calm and cool thing but you know she had it and she Mm -hmm. always smelled like she was like you know definitely someone you'd want to mate with but at the same time uh might be a vampire but then oh no 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 she's alive it was during the day we were there i approved it everything was great and we did the deed but then, like, that was my hook to get in. And then one night she walks up to you and goes, baby, you seem confused. Would you like to know why you didn't say anything about, well, Gaia? Yeah, I can tell you if that would help you figure it out. And you're like, yeah, I'm the strand writer. Absolutely. Tell me. I want to I want to not be confused. OK. Weaver. Whatever she said, said it to him. And boom, his head exploded and he went in other places. And before he knew it, he's just this thing of energy ever changing. And if you're like me, you went, wait a second. I didn't think the Weaver was about change. I thought about the Weaver progress. was about us. Exactly. Yeah. There's a difference between progress and change. Kind of. Right. Progress has like a, a direction it goes in. It has purpose. Right. It is a improvement, incremental improvement. Uh, and most importantly, it's controlled. Unlike our wildy friend. It's not that the wild doesn't have its its point and what it does. It definitely does. But the point of the Weaver is 100% not in this book as they say it. You do not follow my order. And that is the problem. Mm -hmm. The Weaver has an order. And and we'll tap right into it. The whole issue with the Weaver is that we get and we've talked to death about the cosmology. We all know what it was supposed to be. But they literally, straight out of this book, say the Weaver one day said, what is the point? What is the point in making pattern and form if the wild changes it and the worm destroys it constantly? Mm -hmm. How frustrating would that be to you? It doesn't make any sense. Somebody turns around and I, and and, in a way it's like, I pay you money to make great works of art architect and you do so. And along comes this group, this construction crew that trashes it all. Like almost like you're doing it for some uncaring God. Right. That you never see. You don't even know if it exists, but there's got to be a purpose to what you're doing. But nothing ever reveals the purpose to you. But yet you're the one who controls the workman site. You're handling all the the OT and the effort and hiring all the people to come and do it, telling them that's a great works and a project and giving the inspiration to move on. And this money or wild energy keeps coming in and you're changing that form into people who can do the stuff. They do the stuff, but you can't keep the quality people or even the project site. Because along comes this crew to destroy and wreck everything and get rid of your effort. It feels like it's a cosmic joke on the Weaver. Literally had them give you your own personal hell and here's what's going on. Mm-hmm. But the point driving towards there is that you can see the Weaver's perspective. Do you have a you have a different thought on that, Mike? Yeah, man. Somebody's bullshitting. 
Somebody's bullshitting big time. Okay, first of all, the Weaver, Greg Celestine of order and structure. Of the three that we know of, how is it that the Weaver is the one who said, damn these roles we've been getting given, what is the point? Right? That is behavior that I expect from the wild. Number okay. two, the Weaver chooses to bind the worm as per this book and per the book of the worm, because supposedly mm-hmm. the wild is too wild to control. Yet what the weaver calls binding is severing the worm into many pieces that all act independently of one another, both against each other and to the same ends. It doesn't sound like it was browned. It sounds like it was spread like jam across the tapestry. Number three. Okay. Okay. Let's deal with one and two at a time. Let's follow mm-hmm. that along. Okay. Right. So number one, restate it again. I want to make sure I hear you clear. The Weaver, the Celestine of order, who imposes its rules and structure on everything, one day apropos of nothing, and prior to the arrival of man on the scene, by the way, per the account in this book, decided what is the point of these rules that we've been given to follow as the triad. To that end, we can only infer what it says in this book could have happened. They're aware of technology, right? There were the three seeds that were given to mankind by the weaver. Do you remember those seeds offhand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got dogma, science, and technology. Okay. Mm-hmm. Dogma, science, and technology. Part of the dogma, what is dogma, Mike? If you could define it, what is dogma? It is a, a rule structure given to a purpose, okay. to an ideal, usually. Now, if you were something that's supposed to be the epitome of order and establishing it, do you think as that Celestine, you're bound by time? I don't think so. Wouldn't make sense if you were. I don't either. In fact, they've said as much that we mortals and werewolves and anybody in this world and this existence couldn't possibly fathom what the Celestines actually are because Mm -hmm. they are outside of time, out of space. So in that physicality, you have to sit there and go, well, interesting. Are you do you think the Weaver's aware of what happens to it in the future? I think it's like a Doctor Strange thing where it's aware of all the possibilities. Sure. Okay. So now if you knew that that much, that's almost an omniscience, right? You know your origin, you know where you end, assuming there is an end, and mm. that's where it's going. You know what's coming down the pipeline, and you look at your rivals, which they are to the weaver, the worm mm-hmm. in the wild. Now, the wild is capricious by its nature, doesn't care. If it can even figure that out, it doesn't have that ability. The worm doesn't care because that's its purpose, right? But order does care. That's the point of order. It establishes reason. It establishes logic. This is to care. And because you're the entity that does care, and if you see that you get to stick your entire existence, no care. This is the way it's going to be. Eventually, that intellect, because we always said part of the part of its three seeds also had technology and we don't have change as the weaver we have improvement this becomes the devil's deal if you are something that eternally improves itself welcome to the terminator syndrome Mm -hmm. right the computer that is self-aware and this is what this is talking about in a very shitty way we could just chalk up werewolf to being we took the idea of self-awareness and made that what the weaver is and we took it and john connor is just the entire werewolf species (laughs) Best of luck. And and that's just me being crappy and being lazy and helping tie it to a film to help everybody see my point. But that's where I'm really at because the Weaver's a very beautiful thing and, and does a lot of good here. But we got to consider mankind. And it's aware mankind's coming. It's best children is the same best children for the worm that was the same best children for Gaia. It's not werewolves. It's mankind. Mankind is ever adaptive, ultimately a survival mechanic, and is immortal as a species. It doesn't die out. It will always find a way to make the hard call to do what it can to survive. You know why? Because we buy the books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we buy the books. At the end of the day, we buy the books. We are the hero. We are the focus point. That's the point. And some of us get to play these werewolves in this world. And if we're behind that, I hope that begins to answer number one, because that's where my mind went to, that there are some unexplainable things they will never explain. But if you look at it as a business and you look at it as an entertaining story, we got to give a reason why that is. And it just makes sense, even if we never say it, that it's one of those things that the Weaver saw that it gets to stick. Fuck that. 
<laughs> right? And it makes moves. I mean, I, I so I will accept meta as the reason for number one. I get it. As long as we're on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> I just, still makes me mad. Okay, but number two, Weaver. The the Celestine of Order <laughs> can't bind the wild because it just keeps spilling through the pattern web. So mm-hmm. instead it binds the worm that immediately subsequently starts spilling through the pattern web. What? <laughs> How uh, what what is the what is the confusion there? Because from what I saw, like, yeah, it didn't I can see like uh all right, it couldn't hit the wild, but that is the wild by itself. Right, it's wily. It's ever changing. It's always juking left and right. The worm, though, the worm's about tearing stuff down. Right, it's about corruption. It's about that renewal process, feeding stuff back to the wild. So it, but supposedly the worm's only about corruption because it's been bound. The worm used to be destruction to the end of balance, and now it corrupts because it can't destroy, even though it obviously still destroys. Okay, so in there you're saying um, why the worm seems more powerful to you than the wild. Not more powerful, but problematic for the Weaver's goals in the same way. Mm, okay, I think I think the I Weaver disagree. agrees with you. But go ahead, Brennan. Yeah, I, I disagree. The reason why is because, like, like you were saying, it bound it, but it split it into like you know we got the three different heads of the what what are they called? The heads of the the Hydra, something like that. They're called the Hydra, the faces of the worm. Yes, right. <laughs> Uh, because it's cut up into three, it is now competing with itself as well as everything else, right? It's no longer, it's, it's not like the Weaver. It can't just work and think by itself and go in one direction. It's now split into three, therefore weaker and doing things on its own. And as we get deeper into the book, the worm and the weaver conflicted other parts, but there are many other situations like with some things Pintex is doing, uh, just to name a few that the weaver actually works for the weaver too. <laughs> well, but again, so it's clear that the worm and the weaver are more compatible than the wild and the weaver, but I don't think it's accurate to say that the weaver's supposed binding of the worm has bound the worm in any way. You've let's, given it multiple mind, but it's let's, still. Let's, go ahead, let's, go ahead. There's a misunderstanding you have. The weaver didn't make the worm fracture, right? It didn't make the worm do anything. That's an ad- adaptation the worm chose, first and foremost. What the weaver did was it tried to ensnare the wild, but couldn't, right? It could change in the water, could change in the gas. There was no way the weaver could keep up with the wild, but it tried, and it's just too powerful. So it switched gears and went to the worm. Someone who was, who was annoying. But for the most part, she could understand, but instead tried to ensnare the worm period to stop killing her creations. And when she entrapped it, the worm in its fury tried to express its power all at once. So think about it. It couldn't force its way out. We was just too strong. However, in it being trapped, it exploded its consciousness in the three. It's assumption there. If there's three of me, you can't capture all of me. And spread that out. But it didn't stop there. It did that into the Hydra. Then it did the urge worms, which are literal urge inspirations of corruption (laughs) that it threw into the world. And then it did the Banes and brought them in the world. It literally changed itself into being all these things, but it couldn't die. It couldn't get rid of its original form to escape the web. And the Weaver knew it. And the Weaver knew it won with that alone. That no matter what you do, worm, you will never be as strong as your original incarnation. Have fun. And the worm was forever maddened by it. And it didn't care. The weaver is queen bee here. Well, queen spider. And it, it, it got the worm and that's that. Be powerful as you like, but you only, uh, welcome to the camp is what she's saying. Because what are you going to do, worm? You're going to run around and ruin most of what the wild throws out? Thank you. <laughs> right? But if I need anything, I will simply ensnare it and then improve upon it. Because where the wild, what is the difference between the wild would call it evolution. The weaver would call it adaptation. What's the difference between the two? Yeah, exactly. The wild can't because the wild is not just like, you know, growth. It is actual creativity as well. The weaver can't really just create. It can take things that exist and then make them better. It's the difference between being like a creative versus <laughs> versus like an innovator, right? 
If the Weaver can't create, then turning rare earths into iPhones is not creative. <laughs> uh, because they didn't create anything. They just changed base elements into something else. Right, but are you talking about the design of it? Yeah, the design like, of it actually wasn't. But, but that's what I'm saying. That's that's a creative work. Mm-hmm. Right? Because but, if... Go ahead. You're in the weeds. And while you're in the weeds, I'm going to pull but, you back. I'm Remember, no, 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 no. What I'm saying is as Celestines, to your point, as Celestines... The wild represents the raw energy with no form. The weaver's designs give that energy form, but the worm ends those creations. We can't get away from it. It's not a pick and choose. That's just how it is. So all three of them work to create known reality. And in seeing that, you begin to understand what the issue entirely is for the werewolves and even the glass walkers who are exploring this book. They're doing what you're doing, Mike. They're trying to make, wait a second. Well, if that's what happened, then this happens. But they also say you have to agree with the fundamental truth. You know the weaver by its creations as to what it does. And we know technology is its bag. The wild isn't doing anything with technology at all. It will always be the weaver who does something with technology. Would, Would the worm come up with technology? Maybe. But it can only corrupt what the weaver has put in place. And so it's still the weaver. And it knows that. And by the way, serves the weaver's ends in that regard. Which brings me to point number three. <laughs> Somebody's playing a shell game with the fucking weaver and the worm. And let me tell you what I mean. This book describes the eventual end of the weaver's aims as a static, lifeless universe. I uh-huh. don't see how that could be. That doesn't seem like order that, to me. That seems like entropy. And it. I feel like that fact is supported by the idea that the weavers, the weavers adaptation, it's got to be perversion, right? You take man away from his purpose. You make him less compatible with his own environment, environment to the point that all of his actions destroy it. Right. Is who, who's the destroyer here? Because if the worm's doing his job and the weaver's doing a job of actually preserving the order, then the weaver pushes mankind towards balance and equilibrium with the natural world. That would be the order that preserves things as the way they are and the way that they should be sustainability. Right. If the weaver is doing the worms fucking job, (laughs) then it's taking what we have and rendering it inert and useless. I I think that's a I think that's a fantastic point. I would add that if the weaver is taking its essence to bind the worm and the worm has adapted by becoming the great corrupter, how does it not corrupt the weaver in the process? And the weaver would be too arrogant to let that stop it and instead would adapt and improve upon that corruption to make its own world. To bake your noodle further, it's the question you haven't asked several podcasts. I've always been choking on it uh, to not say anything, but now I'll bust you in the head with it, Mike. The simplest question to ask is, how did the Weaver become self-aware? Where did it get the personality to suddenly give a shit about what was going on with the whole balance? Why did it do that? That, But that's what I'm saying, Bob. I don't buy it. What I'm saying, the very essence of the Weaver is to be something that adapts, that improves upon itself. The term AI wasn't pulled out of a hat. That is the function of an AI to eternally improve upon itself. When someone said a lifeless static universe, that person is probably a werewolf who said it, who's beat down and has reached the exhaustion limit of thinking as far as a Celestine or thinking on a Celestine as they can go. Well, I don't know its purpose. It's apparently to do this. Is it though? Hmm. Is it though? That to me is a very limited thought because if you think at the beginning, if all of a sudden there was once Gaia, in other words, nothing, and then and that's something that's a cold statement, but it's the truth. It's it's just the same as the Alpha and Omega story. Let there be light, and suddenly there's all this stuff. That's the same thing. It's the same thing. Another way of saying it. But you know, from Gaia, three Celestines. Where'd Gaia go? Doesn't matter. <laughs> that's where Gaia went. Doesn't matter, right? Is it possible that Gaia fragmented into the Celestines? That would make more of a story. But nobody likes to chew on the fact that, wait a minute, the Gaia Gaia being part of the wild, that makes sense. Life, explosive energy, everything else. I don't know about that weaver, though. I definitely am not down with the worm, but... Um, Aren't you? Uh, You don't know (laughs) of any insect or fungus that breaks down, you know, dead things and 
takes that nutrients and put it into the soil. You don't know of any animal that, say, cuts down trees and makes dams and homes or might build their homes that we, you know, crack open and steal all their honey because it's delicious. I mean, you know, you can go on. <laughs> delicious. Uh, so, but I mean, so we I, we touched on this in a recent podcast and I'm not sure, I wasn't sure then, but I feel like I'm sure now. Right? At that point, the only possibilities were either Gaia and the tree that appears and not mother and children, or they're one and the same. Well, I'm, I know where my ballot vote's going. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm back in Sunday school and someone's explaining the concept of the Trinity to me again. Uh, to uh, like pick up what Bob said a little bit ago and take it further, like we as what we are cannot truly comprehend what these triad things are, or even the Celestines, right? It is possible that the triad does compose Gaia, and that they are both the same thing and separate things. Uh, and that it's turtles all the way down, like Russian, you know, uh, nesting dolls. <laughs> um, that's getting into more like philosophical and spiritual things. But hey, welcome to Werewolf, right? I don't actually know. I don't have a strong opinion on it because I've only ever, in all the stuff we've read, I've only seen or heard you know, people and spirits talking about Gaia. And there's never been, this is what Gaia said, or this is what Gaia actually did. It's like, Gaia did this. How do you know they did that? Well, we're here. Do you know Gaia is a thing? Do you actually know Gaia is a thing? Well, there are Gaia and spirits. Are those just earth spirits? <laughs> are those just spirits of life? Are they the same thing? Are they not? I mean, it seems like Gaia is an ideal of balance that shifters revere in an anthropomorphized essence. Mm -hmm. And then when balance is somehow upset, they say, oh, well, no, that couldn't be Gaia. Gaia is perfect. She is our mother. It must be the triad. <laughs> well, if anyone knows uh, mothers, and, uh, and I do, I happen to know that they're also women first and they're people before that. And they're, they're all equal. So equally fallible goes with it. So, and I think that's the problem with taking a deity and making them anything. When you make it a him or her, that's the problem. You're associating it with you and you can't. Mm -hmm. But that's the point of these books. The genius behind the fiction that a lot of people have a problem digesting is that they're written from a mortal perspective. I Don't hit me with that nonsense where you go, but werewolves are supernal. I get that. You, stupid. You, <laughs> the purchaser of the book who's reading it. You're the mortal, right? It's a mortal perspective. They can't write you a philosophy book you can't understand. And so they're telling a tale that is digestible that these these supernatural entities believe in. Remember, animism is the focus. And when you believe in something and it's real and it calls on you and you call it a totem and it does things, I guess it's as real as it gets when you can prove that. But if you ask the normal mortal about the spirit world, they're going to look at you funny. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, and then they're called sleepers in the world of darkness or whatever. And I always found that ridiculous. And people are so diehard to point that out. And I'm like, that's really you, silly. That's you in the real world. None of this is real. We know that. None of this is real. I will repeat that for those in the back who have found pagan society again and feel and hope that they can do all. None of this is real that has been written in a book. I'm not saying your religion's not real. That's not what I said. I'm saying you need to hear that everything written in these books is fake. <laughs> They're trying to make an entertainment piece, though, that you can debate about. That isn't ironclad. That does morph and change with your stories. Go for it, Mike. To that point, and I feel like these triad books are going to keep bringing us to these great big hefty meta questions like this, right? Mm -hmm. When you get your experienced group of friends or you get your home game together, right? And one day they stand before Helios and Helios is like, I grant thee a boon or, you know, some other great big bad spiritual entity and they demand to know the secrets. How do you negotiate that scene, even for your home game, without upending the apple cart of the cosmology in all of these books we love? Now, upending the apple cart, you're saying, how do you answer that? If I were to be so arrogant as to run a scene with Helios, oh, man. And I'm, and I'm going to do that. And I portray Helios as somebody you can approach and ask questions of. And I do this. We'll just assume. Okay. 
you're saying, how do I answer those questions without upending the apple cart of the cosmology? That analogy, I'm not digesting well. Upending the apple cart of cosmology. So all the apples are nice and stacked in the cart. How do I answer it without ruining everything that's already there? Right. Because we've set up this situation where we have these beautiful fictional tales and these structures that different factions in the world believe are true. There's got to come a day when your player group or even for your own gratification is forced to learn or take a position. Do you do you do the the J.J. Abrams storyteller box thing where it changes depending on what you need it to be or. How do you negotiate? Because it seems like you have to play hide the ball. So if you're a god and we'll just assume Helios is on that level, you're the embodiment of the sun. And you're a player who goes, ask me a question. Let's just see what that's like. Uh, uh, All right. What would you ask the great god Babios? (laughs) I would say, is Gaia a real thing who is separate from the triad? (laughs) You already know that answer. Every time you look in the mirror. Ah, shit. (laughs) All right. Now, did I answer your question? Of course I did. Did I give you a direct answer that you could read in a textbook? No, I did not. But were you to think about it, we come from a speck of space dust, from a moat of nothing. And yet we're here. Of all the creatures in the world, we have our consciousness and we are somehow here. We're adaptable and we control our environment. As a group, though, we're still very fragile. Many things can kill us, but yet we're on top. How is that possible? How is all of this thing everything? What does it make sense that we're here? And you ask the great God Helios, how is this possible? And to a being that's more than knows the answer, you just asked it, why are you the sun? And its <laughs> response is simply going to be, because who else can be so warm and bright? <laughs> Look at you get it. Me. It's just a smile. Emails. It's just a smile. Yeah. It's supposed to get you centered in the fact that there are things you cannot know, my dear child, because your brain was not, you were not meant to know these things. You were meant to be these things. And that's the difference. The balance is within you, and your answer is you. That's what you're supposed to do. Now, you could be the storyteller who goes, All right, man, you made it all the way here. It's time to Bobbios. School time. But I tell you something, you give me something. So what requires now for this class session to be here is that someone in your family has to die. I get their energy. And that's what we're going to do. And then we'll begin. But that's each question. Whatever you want to know, I take something from you. Right. Weird storytellers do weird things. And what I got to say is I prefer the much more enigmatic method. Hmm. That is supposed to be reaching and more life enriching. And I plan for that scene based on your character and how you built it, because that's the direction that all the writers go in in the books. The trick to these books is to not have a hard canon that cannot be discussed, because the moment you have a hard, it is this immutable without moving. Welcome to what is said in this book. All the Weaver wants is a static universe with without end, never changing. And that's it. You said that's entropy. Yes, it is. Reference Werewolf 5th Edition right now, mm. right? Entropy is staying in the apocalypse where it's stayed at 1998, right? That's well, all it's going to be is 1998. But if you want hotness, you want progression, you want it to still be hot, we got hot. That's up here. But if you wish to die into the nether and not exist, you can stay back here with the boat that's sinking or take a little risk, buy the ticket, take the ride. Maybe you find something you like. And here's the beauty. You can adapt. Whatever's in that book you don't like, change. Be the weaver. Embrace the weaver. Change what exists. (laughs) Embrace something better. Be the scroll. Preach. You also wanted to be the weaver the other way. These books are still here. (laughs) See? We're we're learning all sorts of stuff. So works both ways. (laughs) But Mike, most importantly here as we get to that was the cosmology of it that that's here in this book, but it also dives forward into the fall of the weaver. We talked about that. She just did. Mm -hmm. And they Mm -hmm. definitely prescribe her as a she, which I've always found funny uh, that it works out that way. I don't know. I'm not the author, but apparently rolls off the tongue better. And then it rolls on to the fact that. uh, What is it? Um, 
I should, I should address that. It's not the problem of gender. When you tell me to think of a god or goddess, I never think of a god or goddess. To me, omnipotence and omniscience makes you another thing entirely. Mm-hmm. You are whatever you say you are, whether you're a toad, my bedsheet, or the omnipotent sun. That omnipotence is all-powerful, omniscient is all-knowing. I ain't about to question whatever the hell you say you is, and that's that. But I never hear or have seen the weaver refer to itself as anything. You know what I mean? It's like, if you ever think about it, the worm's not like, I'm the worm, I'm going to eat you now. Maybe the first dead worm is running around going, I'm inventing the patriarchy. That'll teach him. Right? <laughs> that was kind of cheesy. Very cheesy. But, you know, the point is, what's done is done. It changes. And it has changed at this point to being an actual fearful entity and all that goes with it. Um, and the Weaver kind of comments on that, too. Right? The Weaver points out the fact that as she rolls forward, it was aware of the changes that were going to happen. By making the worm what it is and entrapping it, it more than planned for the things that it might do by knowing that it couldn't plan for certain things. It is the ender. Some things would go, but it would seek to trap that which was most important to become what it needs it to become for itself. Case in point, coolest thing in this book, in my opinion. Above all the Weaver tech that's in this book, above all the uh, technocratic you could steal and use for you that's in this book, mm-hmm. the best thing in this book is the drone. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, finger snaps. Five, five, yeah. hands down. <laughs> now, what a drone is, is the Weaver took the idea of a worm's Fremori and it has a version of it and it's called a drone. Mm-hmm. It is a way to do the same thing, infuse a weaver spirit into a person or uh, some sort of living entity, and you make it a drone. It doesn't change. It serves its purpose. That's what it's there for. And most importantly, it highlights the fact that drone constantly hears the song. The, the one, one song. The one what's song. The one, what's the one song, Brennan? Because me and Mike have been kind of talking here. So all these, uh, all these uh, mini multitudes of spirits and things that work for the Weaver, they are not like what we were talking about with the worm, where they work against each other, where they're disjointed. The Weaver is about order, right? It's about progression, and you can't do that unless everyone's on the same page. Fortunately, the Weaver doesn't believe in the Agile method and doesn't do two-week sprints, thank God, but instead <laughs> what it has is uh, is what's called the one song, and this is almost like a hive mind, right? It is a way for them to communicate. It is their own intranet for them to communicate. If one net spider goes around and finds some information somewhere, the rest of the one song can know about it if it just puts it out there. Likewise, these drones, these people that have been changed, order made flesh, as the book calls them, also have access to that. If one thing of the weaver that has access to the one song knows something, they all know it. That's the most terrifying thing out of this book. It is. Yeah. It is. I'm, uh, I'm smiling. Go it's ahead, back, Mike. It's back to that Terminator analogy, right? They even have this exquisite, just perfectly evocative art in this book of a guy who takes a wound, like a severe wound to his arm, and you mm-hmm. can see it relatticing itself together. Like, 20 years prior to the uh, the version of John Connor from Genesis that is a <laughs> black, like, netted bio steel lattice underneath his human flesh i was like oh my god they're prophets but yes sorry needed to throw that in <laughs> you might wonder why the why the weaver goes to this method in this book they outline something a very point that i excerpt that i highlighted here it says the weaver is insane but her insanity takes a different form than that of the worm Unlike the worm, she is still whole rather than shattered into many and various separate entities each vying to outdo the others Rather, her single mind wars with itself, much as a paranoid schizophrenic does. And then in parentheses, they say, note, clinical schizophrenia does not mean that one has multiple personalities. That's a separate mental disorder in and of itself. Rather, it simply means that the patient's mind is cut off from reality. The patient does not experience reality in the way that mentally healthy people do, and so suffers from delusions, hallucinations, and phantom voices in the head. Granted, in the world of darkness, not everyone who experiences these things is schizophrenic, but there are still people who simply suffer from the natural chemical imbalances in the brain without ever having encountered a supernatural denizen of the world at large. However, the very nature of the reality she created as in the Weaver has lost all meaning to her, and she's obsessively driven to find meaning again. That's the real point here. 
they've humanized the weaver. Mm-hmm. Right? They made it a condition. So already who wrote this book, not the authors, we're talking in-game, collected this data and are given this TED talk, as Glasswalkers do. They're already lost. They've already they're trying to understand a Celestine that is neither he or her or they or them. It is not of this reality. It's not of this existence and it's outside of time. And they're trying to say it's insane. When in reality, what they're saying is my mind can't fathom why it does what it does or how it does what it does. Because in here, they're asking, like, you know, a, uh, I believe it was a Korax who's trying to figure out why did the Weaver make all these technocratic things that in the wrong hands can destroy the very existence that she herself has out here. And they're like, she's insane. She doesn't know what's going on. So she's fighting herself. She doesn't get it. Or you're the one who doesn't get it hmm. is really what's going on. In the interest of moving forward, why might I give somebody, a, I don't know, an atomic bomb? Did you ever think about that? It is a horrible thing that the atomic bomb is invented, but you know what it did? It stopped your neighbors suddenly deciding to war with you out of nowhere. I think there's another aspect to these things, all these triads that I've not really heard people talk about, but I, I keep thinking about all of these things, the, this wild, this weaver, this worm, they all have all these aspects that they almost are, right? The worm tears things down, the weaver is supposed to stabilize and create and improve and the wild creates. But the idea that they are thinking things like you and I who are, we're all like multitudes of these things, right? We understand these two concepts, but these things are almost those concepts in and of themselves. The the weaver doesn't make things like the wild does because it can't. It's physically incapable of doing so and probably incapable of even understanding what that exactly is. Otherwise, it'd be able to do it. So all these things are, are stuck in what they were created to do or what they were formed to do. So the idea of why would the Weaver make all these magic tech stuffs? Why would it make uh, an atomic bomb? It's because it couldn't not by the seeds. It only it planted. It was inevitable that these things were created. It can't pick and choose what people make or discover. It only lays down the path. So I'm using that Weaver specifically because this is the Weaver book, but I think that applies, <laughs> at least in my mind, how the wild works and how the worm works. They are just the concepts that they represent and they can't be anything else. Yeah, I don't, I, don't I have no objections. I just, I have no objections to that orientation if I'm the Weaver and my, and my role is to uh, give order to like, how's the nuclear bomb not going to happen, right? Yeah, it's like, what was that mobster, Joey Gallo? Was he the one that said, be the best thing that you are, right? If you're a trash man, be the best trash man. If you're the mobster, be the best mobster. You have the <laughs> weirdest mentors, Brennan. I just want you to know that. Um, but, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, but to to get the suits for the last uh, five minutes here, uh, winding down here, I want to go ahead because this discussion clearly could go on with us here. Um, nice. But... Yep. In interest of listening to, I want to point out what's rest is in this book. So we already talked about the Strider's Tale, uh, the Strand Writer's Tale. We talked about the cosmology more than a bit here. It's, in fact, most of what we've been discussing here. Chapter two is Weaver Tech that contains a mix of hardware, software, and wetware to use as toys or, or however you want to use out of this book. Weaver specific. You know, mm-hmm. where their origins are, they're neutral. They're just tools until you nefariously decide to use them. Player ST. Then chapter three has Grandmother Spider's Brood. That's very interesting, right? Now we're calling her Grandmother Spider. It's thrown into here as well. This is a werewolf perspective book, though. And uh, the details, the servants of the weaver. Uh, they're those who are willing and those or those who know their service and those who don't know it. Uh, some may be the character's allies. Others, like DNA, um, will almost certainly be antagonists. Um, do mm-hmm. you guys know who DNA is? Yeah, uh, I can never remember the acronym, but they are humans that uh, f- try to map the werewolf genome and, uh, you know, fix and cure the genetic uh, disease that is uh, lycanthropy. Um, and they also do some really weird, terrifying things in, in its vein. And one of the scariest parts about them is they're not Fomori. They're not werewolves. They are humans that understand what DNA is and how to use it. Now, Mike, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, only that they're Weaver Pentex. They're Weaver Pentex? What does that mean? They, to me, they feel like the the corporate human manifestation of the Weaver's will on Earth as Pentex is to the worm, so DNA is to the Weaver. 
I like it. Um, what I'm going to say is that they're a very interesting creation because I think that's where the worm and the weaver meet, much like you said. Mm-hmm. And they meet in a way that is hard to say that players would be able to pick up on it. I've, I've, I've sleezed them into a campaign or two and are never caught. And whenever they're there, it's always to the shock of the players afterward. I, I believe in talking about campaigns after I run them. I think it's very cool to see them in this book from the perspective of the Weaver solely. And uh, it's something worth looking at. But many others are in here, too, to throw around like the drum. Um, in Chapter 4, it's tailspinning. It's how the storyteller is going to be able to give uh, you know proper use of the Weaver's touch in games, possible story hooks and chronicles to start that are based on going into the pattern web and exploring it and seeing what it's about. And then it winds down with the appendix, which is where you'll find descriptions of the actual new spirit charms that are employed by, well, all the Weaver's minions uh, that they have in this book 100%. And that's what this book is. And uh, obviously, we're not going to go over all that here. We want you to get the book to read the book because it is a book worth having, in particular, if you're an Apocalypse fan or even if you're new to it right now, inspired by us here uh, to begin checking it out. Definitely do that because it'll add depth to what you're doing with your normal werewolf game. Um, With that, gentlemen, do you have anything to add at the end? Uh, I do not. That pretty much covers it. Uh, we don't, we don't have time to discuss it, but I guess I would send a question to the listeners because I kicked around on the internet trying to look for an answer to this and I couldn't find one I was satisfied with. Closest I got to was logos, pathos, and ethos. But what do you guys think the philosophical through line for the triad is? Like, what would a, where would, what was the inspiration for the authors when they were when they decided to give us this triune celestial cosmology, just food for thought. Might be food for thought, but I'm looking at five minutes possible to milk here, maybe four. Brennan, do you got a stab at it? Do you have an idea? Uh just the only inspiration I can see are like the like three <laughs> aspects of like life in general, because they were going for something that's. Uh, primordial, right? Something basic with the triad. Uh, it's life growing, what happens during life, and then what happens when it meets its end. I think that you were given the triad at all, along with Gaia, along with the whole animism kick of werewolf, because otherwise you were just classic monsters mm. that were changing as werewolves running around with a curse, which mm-hmm. is what I would have preferred. I definitely would have enjoyed that myself. Mm -hmm. I think the idea of a vampire fighting off a beast was fantastic. I think a person cursed to be a werewolf was a more enjoyable experience than necessarily being Teen Titan, um, teaming up and fighting the world powers and solving eco-terrorism. I think that's where the apocalypse is predominantly. Does that mean I'm not a fan? No, I can get behind it. But to me, it is you gave them a burden that can't be solved by any one group of players. Mm -hmm. They're not about to take on the worm in a giant uh, echo mech. That's going to save Gaia because what is Gaia? If you can't fathom a Celestine, then what is Gaia? And I think that is the point of the triad mm-hmm. is that it gets you to wonder and think about why we're here, or what goes on to add depth beyond you just being monsters fighting off a curse. And that's the, the whole angle of it. And it pays dividends. However, it doesn't mature. Well, it's 2022. A lot of people have a lot of issue with the context and uh, with the content and context of that stuff went into so much so that we see some pretty drastic and dramatic changes going into different versions of this game. And that's that I think is the source. But it's a very profound question. I'm curious too what people have to think on that. But that's my take. Yeah. I um I stopped. I stopped at those basic like I don't know if they I think the origin is Greek. Those terms I got in English class because the weaver seemed super logical. The 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 uh, wild seemed super emotional and chaotic. Right. Pathos and then ethos. I had trouble pinning it to the worm until I came to the word accountability. Right. I think the worm Mm -hmm. represents accountability for the universe, especially in its natural state. Right. So we have that's what Donald Trump is. (laughs) Peace accountability to someone. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, I'd love to hear back from the community on on, on that uh, structural question. That's all I got. Uh, on that fantastic note, I want to thank you, Mike and Brennan, as always. It's a pleasure. And uh, thank everyone for listening. And we'll see you next time. Or otherwise known as VCS Moron. Bye, everybody.
<laughs> See ya. Bye. <laughs>Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you like what you heard and would like to support us, please leave a review or share it with friends. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time.